Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Come on. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. It, it, it's funny that Jesus, uh, there are so many moments from Holy Week that I could have chosen to preach about. And, and I kind of had an unfair advantage because last week I was in Israel, okay? I went to Jerusalem, went to the Holy Land, and I went to every single place that Jesus was in Holy Week. You may not even understand that this is Holy Week, okay? Palm Sunday begins the last week of Jesus' life. From Palm Sunday to Ash Wednesday to Monday Thursday to Good Friday to, to, to Easter Sunday. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and we celebrate this week every single year on the Christian calendar. It is Holy Week. It is the week that we reflect and ponder on the last seven days of Jesus' life on this earth. There are so many moments that I could have chosen to talk about from the last week of Jesus' life. And as I was in Israel, I was walking around. I went from Caiaphas' house. I went all the way uh, to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, went down the Via Dolorosa, went through all 14 stations of the cross, went to the empty tomb. By the way, I came to tell you it is empty, okay? Uh, I went to all the sites uh, uh, that they uh, believe that Jesus actually walked and Jesus actually lived, but it was at the Garden of Gethsemane that I thought the Holy Spirit tell me that, 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 that we need to focus on this moment in Jesus' journey because I don't know if I'm the only one in the room where actually I'm coming out of the worst years of my life. Okay, can we be honest in church? Uh, where, where the last couple of years of my life, I have felt uh, pressure beyond imagination. I have felt uh, stressed. I have felt overwhelmed. I have felt anxious. I have felt afraid. I have felt the uncertainty of living through a worldwide pandemic. I don't know if I should wear a mask or not wear a mask. I don't know if I should be an entrepreneur or keep this job because I don't know if another pandemic gonna break out. I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, I'm dealing with the fear of loved ones dying. I'm dealing with all of the pressure. I don't know if it's just me, but 2020 was the worst year of my life. December 2019, I decided to quit my job and then was angry by March. Like Holy Ghost couldn't have given me a heads up that the world was going to shut down. I remember flying home in March of 2020 in my house that I just bought. And I said, I looked at my wife and said, I ain't got no speaking engagements. We ain't got no money. I can't get on no flights. And we had 35 cancellations come through in about five days. I don't know how we gonna pay the mortgage, but at least you pregnant and I'm happy. <laughs> Couple of weeks went by and we found out we had had a miscarriage. Drove home from the hospital and was like, God, I ain't got no money. I don't know how I'm going to pay this mortgage. And the one thing that was making me happy ain't making me happy no more. Ain't it crazy how you don't realize God is all you need until he's actually all you have. I don't know if you've ever been at the depths of despair. 
scared. I don't know how I'm going to pay this mortgage. I cannot believe that I just left an ultrasound and they told me that the baby that we prayed for, that their heartbeat is not beating anymore. I've got to have a, a, a procedure to remove fetal tissue. And now I'm dealing with a wife who's now in depression and I ain't got no job. Did I mention I ain't got no job? I don't know if you've ever felt pressure. Pressure. How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to be there to emotionally support my wife as she's grieving? She's waking up in the middle of the night with recurring dreams as she's dropped the baby down the stairs because pregnancy loss is traumatic and I'm under pressure. Have you ever been under pressure? Oh, come on. Have you ever been under pressure? Trying to figure out how am I going to pay the bills. I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. Come on. I'm in a circumstance where I know that I'm not living up to my potential and I'm under pressure. I got deadlines. I'm under pressure. In the same year, I decided like a fool to jump into a doctoral program. Now I ain't got no job. Don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I spent $20,000 of cash money on a procedure called in vitro fertilization and now I'm dealing with the broken pieces of a miscarriage. No money, don't know how I'm gonna pay the mortgage and I got homework <laughs> and I'm 33 years old. <laughs> what am I doing in a doctoral program right now? Come on, have you ever looked at God and asked yourself, why am I here? How did I get here? Oh, for all the Christians who've never felt overwhelmed, you are dismissed from this service. <laughs> you can leave. For all the Christians who you've never felt an anxiety attack, you can leave. I'm sorry. This ain't the service for you. But we're going to talk about Gethsemane today because it is the place of crushing. It is the place of pain. It is the place where you pray so hard, your sweat turns to blood. It is the place where God puts you in pressure that you've never felt before in your life. It's the place where you as God are asking other humans to pray with you because you are that weak it's the place where you come to the end of yourself I wonder is there anybody in the room that's glad that today we're going to talk about Gethsemane because you have been under pressure and you've been confused you don't know why you've been under attack but can I tell you that the God of the universe has placed you under pressure because there's something he's trying to get out of you there's oil that got deposited in you and the only way to get the oil out is to apply pressure 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 ccc can we can we go a little deeper it's one thing to be gifted whole another thing to be anointed come on it's one thing to be gifted whole another thing to be Anointed. We rely a lot on gifts. Let me, let me talk about Joseph's Gethsemane. Joseph from Genesis. Joseph's Gethsemane. His Gethsemane is having to be a prisoner and a slave simultaneously. Get sold into slavery and to make matters worse, after being sold into slavery, becomes a prisoner because some cougar decided to lie on him. Oh, you don't know what a cougar is? It's an older woman that likes younger men. Google it. Anyway. Decided to lie on him, so now he's in prison. But I need you to get this. I need you to get this. 
you can't skip Gethsemane. Yeah. Because if you skip Gethsemane, your gift will only remain a gift. What do I mean? Before prison, Joseph could only have dreams. It's in Gethsemane that Joseph becomes not just gifted, but anointed. And now he doesn't just have the ability to have dreams, but the baker and the cupbearer come to him and he has the ability to interpret dreams because your gift needs Gethsemane in order to be anointed. Your gift needs pressure in order to go to the next level. And you are wondering why God is against you. Can I tell you that God is for you? He has placed you under pressure because there's oil that you have yet to produce in your life. You are gifted. But if you keep skipping the most painful seasons of your life, there's a certain amount of anointing that can only come through Gethsemane. It's funny, me and Tia had a miscarriage, and one of the people that I FaceTimed was First Lady LaShawn Thompson. It's like, Mom, this is the worst day of my life. And she said words that I did not appreciate at the time. She said, well, Manny, you've always been a good communicator. But when you experience pain, you become a good pastor. And you're going to be able to love people and have compassion for people and relate to people. And at the time, a week after our miscarriage, I was like, I ain't trying to hear that. I don't care about no people. I care about me. <laughs> but guess what? On the other side of it, now that we have a nine-month-old son, now that the victory has actually been completed in our life, now that I went through Gethsemane, went to the cross, got a resurrection. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on. Now that I didn't short circuit the process, can I tell you something? It's good to preach messages that hit people, but everywhere I go all around the country, you don't want to, want to know what happens? It's happened in Albuquerque. It's happened in Denver. It happens everywhere I go. It happened in Brazil. The last time me and Sam Perkins were in Brazil, people who are struggling with infertility come up to me after the service. Can you please pray for us? And I remember every single person that I've prayed for to have children has children because it's one thing to be gifted on the stage. It's a whole nother thing to be anointed off stage. It's a whole nother thing to have the anointing flow through your life. Oh, I need a good amen right there because God knows how to apply pressure so that your raw gift goes through a process so that you can actually be anointed. See, it's not a coincidence that Jesus ends up in a garden. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. Come on, he's the garden of. It's not a coincidence that Jesus ends up in a garden. Because there's nothing coincidental about Jesus' life. Jesus' life is not accidental. It's not arbitrary. It's not a coincidence that he ends up in a garden because every single step of Jesus' life is ordered because he is destined for the redemptive process of humanity. Yeah. It's not a coincidence that he's in a garden any more than it's a coincidence that the angel makes the announcement to shepherds in Bethlehem. Yeah. If you do your homework, you'll realize that Bethlehem 
was in proximity to the temple in Jerusalem. So the shepherds in Bethlehem had one job and one job only, to produce unblemished lambs for sacrifice in the temple. So when the angel came to the shepherds at Bethlehem, the reason that the angels came to those shepherds is because they had been producing unblemished lambs for sacrifice. And now they would go to behold the one unblemished lamb that would take the sacrifice of all of humanity. It was not a coincidence that the angel appeared to the shepherds of Bethlehem. It was not a coincidence that Jesus found himself in the temple at 12 years old. Not a coincidence at all. It's not a coincidence because when you took a sacrifice to the temple, the high priest and the Jewish leaders had to inspect your sacrifice. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus finds himself being interrogated and inspected at the age of 12 to prove that he can actually be the blemished lamb, the unblemished lamb that can take away the sins of the world. Not a coincidence that his first miracle is at a wedding. No, because God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, his father, the very first miracle that he produces is to pull a rib out of Adam's side and to preside over the very first wedding in all of human history. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus says to his mama, woman, why do you involve me? Because whereas Eve pushed Adam in into his first sin, it's going to be Mary, the new woman, that pushes Jesus into his first miracle. It is not a coincidence. It's not accidental that he's turning water into wine at a wedding. It's not coincidental that he spends 40 years in the wilderness. He spends 40 years in the wilderness and he is succeeding where Israel failed. See, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness and did not have the ability to produce obedience or faith in their covenant promise with Yahweh. And it is Jesus that is going to take those 40 years and relive them in 40 days and to prove where they couldn't get it right. He can get it right. It's no coincidence that he was laid to die behind stone. No coincidence at all because when Moses gets the law from Mount Sinai, he gets two tablets of stone, which means that all throughout the Bible, every time you see stone, you should think of the law. And because Jesus never broke the law, the stone of the law could not keep him in that tomb. So on the third day, he rose with all power in his hands because nothing in your New Testament is by coincidence. So he had to go to a garden. He had to go to a garden because it's in a garden that everything went wrong. He had to go to a garden because it's in the garden that Adam and Eve rebel against their creator. He has to go to a garden because where Adam was endowed with God's anointing to steward and cultivate the earth, he decided to consume instead of cultivate. And this is a God that decides, I am going to cultivate instead of consume. He had to go to a garden. Ooh, get this. He had to go to a garden because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan entered the garden. 
And in our New Testament, it says that while they ate at the Last Supper, Satan entered Judas, and then Judas entered the garden to kiss Jesus and betray him. It's not a coincidence that he's in a garden because he has to undo everything that Adam and Eve did. He has to reverse the curse that all of humanity is under. So he's in a garden. We find Jesus under pressure with severe anxiety, overwhelmed, his blood, his sweat is turning to blood, and he's in a garden. Of course he's in a garden. Now, for us to fully understand what's happening in the garden of Gethsemane, we have to go back to Eden. So I've got a passage for us. We need to study this. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We have to figure out what did Adam do wrong? Because there's a specific thing that Jesus is doing in this garden. And if we don't understand what's happening in the Garden of Eden, we'll never understand what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, can you give me Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3. Uh, to who? To? Adam. Come on, to who? Adam. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the? Wow. That's weird. Cursed is the what? Ground. The who? Ground. The ground? Wait, 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 wait. It's Adam that jacked up. What the ground do? Ground didn't do nothing. The ground just there, innocent. Like, why I'm cursed. No, don't take it away. Cursed is the what? Because of who? Through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce what? And get this, get this, get this. There were never thorns before Adam sinned. This is why Jesus had to wear a crown of He has to wear as the symbol of his royalty the thing that your sin produced. Oh, come on. He has to identify with broken humanity and say I'm the king not because I have gold on my head I'm the king because although your sin was not my fault I take it as my responsibility and I'm not a shit oh you want to be a real leader take other people's problems and make it your responsibility you want us to crown you as a leader oh no take other people's problems and make it your problem Come on, come on, let's keep reading. We just read the Bible. It will produce what? And thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19. By what? By the what? By the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. What is happening in this passage of scripture? God is saying a couple of things. He is saying, what used to come easy for you because you were under my grace will now become difficult for you because you have decided to, ooh, to choose autonomy and independence. So since you want a life where you can call all the shots, you are going to have to deal with the toil of calling all the shots in your life. 
You want to pay the cost to be the boss? The cost to be the boss is that you will sweat and you will toil and you will get nowhere. Or you can submit to me and I will be the boss of your life. I will be the Lord of your life. I will call the shots in your life and you will have a supernatural grace over your life. What other people find difficult will be easy for you. What you took years to do when you didn't have me, it'll take months to do when you add me to your life. When you submit your life to me, get this, not just as your savior, but as your Lord. It is easy to make Jesus your savior. Easy. Uh, next week, thousands of people will walk into this room. And some of them will make Jesus their Lord. All of them going to try to make Jesus their savior. Because it don't require nothing for Jesus to be your savior. I believe you died for me. Yep, I prayed the prayer. I'm going to heaven. Awesome. Your ticket got punched. But can I tell you the hard part? Making him the Lord of your life. The king in your life. Making him the one for whom his opinion has the final say. Not your opinion, not what your mama said, not the generational curse that's actually dictating all of your trauma responses. No, that God becomes the king of your life. So when he says forgive, you forgive. When he says to tithe, you tithe. When he says don't go there, you don't go there. When the Holy Spirit warns you and says don't date them, you don't date them. Not because you're not compatible, but because the Holy Ghost said don't do it. That's lordship. Lordship. And God says, hey, because you chose independence, you want to be the boss? You're going to do a lot of sweating. You want to be the boss? It's going to be hard work. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who you have encountered Adam's frustration. Sowing and never reaping. Feeling like your life is running on a treadmill. You're doing a lot of work, but you're not getting anywhere. I don't know if there's anybody who has felt the curse of Adam. That you're going to do a lot of work, and it's never going to feel like you're moving up the corporate ladder. You're going to do a lot of work, and you're not going to get rewarded for it. You're going to do a lot of work, and the company you work for is actually going to make a lot of money off your work. Hello. I wonder if there's anybody who's ever felt the curse of Adam, that a lot of sweat got spilled, but there was no fruit on the other end of it. God doesn't curse work. Get this. Come on. For everybody who just thinks eating is going to be a vacation, heaven ain't going to be no vacation. God doesn't curse their work. He just says that you used to work and there was a produce. And now you're going to work and there's going to be no harvest. Now get this, this is where it gets fun. It's not just that Adam's work is cursed, it's that the ground gets cursed. Now for us to understand why the ground gets cursed, I gotta teach you just a little bit of Hebrew, just a little bit of Hebrew, come on, I know you're excited. Because Adam's name is actually a play on words. Adam comes from the Adama, 
The Hebrew word for the ground is Adama. Adama. Everybody say Adama. Adama. So when you read this in Hebrew, Adam is just dirt man. Man from the ground. Adam comes from the Adama. When you're reading it in its original language, you can clearly see the connection. But when things get translated, you lose the meaning. It's the whole reason I'm in a doctoral program. Hello. So I'm going to drop these doctoral nuggets on you from time to time, okay? So there's a curse on the ground. There's a curse on the very thing that makes you human. So now, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control is supposed to get harvested out of your ground naturally. But now it takes a lot of sweat and work to get your Adama to produce for Adam what it's supposed to produce. So you lose your temper. You can spend an hour in prayer. Somebody cut you off. You still lose your temper. Come on. Because the fruit of the spirit is supposed to come out of your life. And God is saying, see, where it was easy to be human in Eden. Ooh, it's going to be hard. Just to be what God designed you to be. So there's a twofold curse. There's a curse on Adam's work, and there's a curse on Adam's ground, the foundation of what makes him him. And we know that the ground is more than just an agricultural issue. The Bible is not saying it's going to be hard to grow tomatoes. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not saying growing avocados is about to be hard. That ain't what the Bible is saying. I need to show you Genesis chapter 4 so that we can complete the picture of what the ground means in its original Hebrew context. Give me Genesis chapter 4. This is right after Cain kills Abel. Right after Cain kills Abel. Get this. Come on, read this with me. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother cries out to me from the ground. The very thing that I took you from is cursing you that you're a murderer, Cain. If the ground is just the thing that produces trees and apples, then this verse would make no sense. But what God is saying is, hey, son of Adam, the Adama is cursed. And now where you and your brother were supposed to get along, there's jealousy and there's strife and there's envy. And you want what he has, and he wants what you have, and you killed him. And there's murder, and the very ground condemns you. Now that I know all this, that there's a curse on Adam's sweat. That there's a curse on Adam's ground. And that Abel's blood cries out from Adam's ground. That there's something broken with humanity. Now we can read Luke chapter 22. I'm going to give you one verse, Luke chapter 22. I'm pretty sure it's verse 40. Let me make sure. Verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his 
was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And his was like drops of falling to the ground. His sweat had to become blood because only blood can lift the curse that God put on the ground in Genesis chapter 3 his blood is the only thing that can reverse the words of God that God put on the ground in Genesis he had to go to a garden he had to go to a garden and he had to sweat because he had to redeem your work he had to sweat because he was tired of your work not producing fruit and his blood had to drop on the ground because he was tired of you not producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, this moment in the garden is not accidental. It's not arbitrary. It's the first shedding of blood for the redemption of the curse that was put on you in Genesis chapter 3. Because Jesus undoes everything that Adam did to destroy you. Jesus begins to unravel all of the things that got you bound up in the first place. Jesus' life is methodical. He's pierced in his head to redeem your mind. Lashes on his back to redeem your past. Circumcised to redeem your secret pain. Woo! Your private pain that nobody knows about. Oh, blood had to be spilt from specific parts of his body. Blood spilt from his side to redeem your relationships. Blood spilt from his hands to redeem your work. And blood from his feet so that everywhere your feet tread, you have the victory of Joshua in your life. It's Palm Sunday and we're going into Holy Week with a shot of praise and a voice of triumph because our God reigns. He reigns over your sin. He reigns over your sickness. He reigns over the curse that was placed on the ground that you come from. And I can declare because he was pressed. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. I may be going through some hardship, but oil's coming out at the end of this. I may be going through pain, but God's blessing is on my life. Oh, I may be going through something that I don't want to go through, but I'm pressed and it's okay. God, don't take your pressure off of me. Keep your pressure on me because what you're doing in my life is not accidental. It's not arbitrary. My steps have been ordered. And if you ordered pressure right here, it's because you're trying to withdraw oil out of my life. Because I've used blood, I've used sweat, I've used tears, but I need the oil that only flows from Gethsemane. I need my Gethsemane. I need my garden because the garden is where pressure gets put on me. So that I can be for others what Jesus has been for me. Yeah. 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 
so you can stand all over this place. I'm about to pray a prayer of benediction. While I was in Israel, we kept passing by oil presses. They're everywhere. Everywhere. These stone structures coming out of the ground. Everywhere. Everywhere you go. Because the Jewish people can't live without oil. It's impossible. The last time we were in Israel, I mean, there's olive trees everywhere. And the good thing about an olive tree, you can't cut it down. If you cut it, it just keeps on growing. The only way to get rid of an olive tree is to uproot it. So when we got to the Garden of Gethsemane, they can date some of these trees all the way back to when Jesus was in the garden. Because these trees live forever. And I learned something while I was in Israel last week. That in order for an olive to become oil, there's a pressurized process. So he's not in Gethsemane by accident. He's in Gethsemane because what's happening to Jesus is a representative form of what's happened to the olives that are in this olive press. Get Shimon, it means the olive press, the oil press. He's in Gethsemane. And they said that oil gets used for three things. I need you to get this. When you press it the first time, it's only pure enough to light candles. So maybe you're going through pressure right now. The first pressing is just so that you could be the light of the world. That's it. That's it. The second pressing is for cooking and soap. The first press is only pure enough to light candles. The second pressing is good enough to cook food in. That's called virgin olive oil. It's good for cooking. It's good for soap. It's good for cooking, it's good for soap, it's good for hospitality. So that the stuff you cook with your life can actually bring healing to people. Here we go, the third pressing. Only the third pressing was pure enough to anoint kings and priests. The first pressing is for light. The second pressing is for cooking and soap. And the third pressing is for an anointing. Maybe right now you've been trying to get out of the pressure and you're only on press number one. And maybe you've been trying to get out of the pressure and God is saying the oil that's for anointing hasn't even been released yet. You crying and you're disappointed and you're full of pain. But if I just press you one more time, can you have the perseverance to get pressed one more time? Can I get you to the third round of pressure so that an oil can be released from your life that can actually be good for anointing? Some of us, you've been trying to get anointing out of oil that's only good for lighting lamps. You think that just because there's oil, you're anointed. Oh, no. Mm Mm-mm. Oil just means you can light a lamp, baby. Oil just means you can cook something and make some soap. Let us not get weary in well-doing. Because you will know when there's an oil on your life that is for anointing. 
It is when your gift goes to a place that it's never been before. It's when you start walking in purpose that is yet to be released in your life. When you get to a place where you're not just, where the oil is on you, but no, I want the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be on my life. I want to see signs, miracles, and wonders. I want people on my job to experience freedom. I want healing to burst out of my life. I want the anointing of God to rest on me. I don't just want to be pressed. Oh no, I want God to finish the full process of pressing so that I'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you're in the room and you feel like, Pastor Manny, you are preaching to me, I have been pressed. Oh, it's been a hard year. I can relate to you. Oh, in 2020, come on. IVF two times. Emptied our savings account multiple times. Believed God to be an entrepreneur, to be on the road full time. And then the world shut down. Come on, if you've just been through hell and high water. And this message is helping you make sense of the last two years of your life. God, why are you pressing me? Why are you pressing me? Why is there so much pressure? Why am I so stressed? Why am I overwhelmed? I was watching Pastor Andy preach on being overwhelmed, and I went, this, this is nothing short of an anxiety attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. Your sweat became blood, and you wanted other mere mortals to help you pray? This is Jesus and the fullness of his humanity. Broken. Not only does he need Peter to stay awake and pray with him, he needs an angel to come down. If you think Jesus can't relate to the pressure you're going through, the devil is a liar. The Bible says that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with all of your weaknesses. You anxious? Guess what? Jesus was anxious too. You stressed out? Guess what? Jesus was stressed out too. I could preach this next point for a long time, but I'm going to say it in one minute. When you're put into pressure, we finally get to see what's in you. At his lowest point, the most pressure that he's ever experienced in his life, Jesus says, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. When Jesus placed under the most pressure, what comes out? Submission, forgiveness, trust. Maybe you're going through pressure and it's a test for God to see, is there spite in you? Bitterness in you? Come on, I wonder if there's anybody's prayer. God, purge me. Oppress me until everything that's not like you is out of my life. You can put me in the refiner's fire. God, I want everything that's not like you to be pressed out of my life. God, if there's too much flesh left in me, God, I want the anointing of God to rest on my life. Give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. Press me. Press me. Until lying is out. Press me until lust is out. Keep on pressing me until deception is out. Keep pressing me till unforgiveness is out. You can keep pressing me until pride is out. 
God, I want you to press me and press me and press me and press me because there are people who are going to need your oil that's coming through my life. I'm an earthen vessel. All I am is a vessel, but God, they need your oil to come through my life. And so God, get any infirmity out of me that's going to pollute the oil that you need to release into other people's life. I want to be a clean vessel. I'm pressed, I'm pressed, I'm pressed, pressed. That's you, come on, I want to know who I'm praying for. God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters and world overcomers. God, I thank you. There's no church on the planet like this church. And we want to be a church not just of gifted people, but of anointed people. God, let the deacons of our church be anointed. Let every elder be anointed. Let the pastoral team be anointed. God, let an anointing flow on every volunteer, on every married couple. God, we need your anointing to not just be married but stay married God we ask that you would press us and God as you press us we don't want to be divided we want to be united God we ask that through every storm every trial every hardship that your oil would come out of the vessel of world overcomers God we ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to rest on every giver on every tither on every member of our church God we ask that as we go into Holy Week that Lord God that your work that you started would be completed in our life God we thank you we don't want partial victory but we want full victory in our life God we ask right now that everyone under the sound of my voice would receive the anointing of the Lord that from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet as we leave this place that Lord God you would put a hedge of protection around us that God that a thousand may fall at my my left side and a hundred may fall at my right but no plague or pestilence will come near our dwelling place God we thank you right now for the anointing of the Lord supernatural strength on our work week this week supernatural ideas on everything that you have for us God we ask that the sweat of our brow would produce everything that you wanted to produce in our life we thank you for a harvest of souls to this day next week that Easter Sunday and world over comers would not just be a display of gifts but that your anointing would be in the room next Sunday that broken people would get healed that lost people would get found God we ask Lord God that you would be exalted we thank you in advance for what you're doing in our personal lives and what you're doing in the life of our church God we love you as we leave this place we ask that we would not leave your presence we submit all of our ways to you in Jesus name we pray come on and we all said together amen 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 world overcomers we love you we'll see you wednesday online have a blessed week you're dismissed